At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I'm dancing to Taylor Swift wearing this Soviet MiG pilot helmet and smoking a cigar and just... We're in it now. Yeah, it says live. Here's the clap. Now I can sync the cameras. Ooh, this got fancy. Vader, is it, it your work. is it your intro or is it Bender's intro? I don't think it's mine. Gosh. I think I I know I did the Billy episode intro. That's so right. It's definitely not me. So it's Bender. I, yeah, I thought I was removed from doing intros. No. Well, this is it's Rain's call. You know, I, I think well, I'm it's just gonna no, talk it's about Satan call. even though I don't know anything about him. So I'll just make some <laughs> stuff up. Yeah. All right. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's my call at all, but I, I do think it's Bender's intro. Are we start? Has this started? Yeah, oh, no, yeah it started. We're thirty oh, seconds thirty in. seconds in. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking the video thing from before, but hey, welcome everybody to Bro Chat Volume Nine. Maybe we shouldn't call them volumes either anymore. We got a lot of stuff we got to talk about. A lot of suggesting. Yeah, a lot of admin. Yeah, but we got we got rain here as per the usual, and Vader who's struggling through his TX. Uh, so we're gonna hear a little bit about that in a bit. And our special guest today is Satan, Dan Levy, right? Or is it Levi? Levy, close enough. All Levy, dang it. All right. Restart. Satan's fine. Clap again. Hard E or soft E. What is that? I don't know how that works. <laughs> this is so why Satan, intros are tough. Yeah. That's like the guy on the TV show that everybody likes, uh, Shit's Creek. Same dude. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, well, Satan, Satan is well known in the fighter pilot community for stirring up, uh, I, I don't want to say trouble, but he brings, everybody's thinking it. Not everybody's saying it. Satan says it. So that's well, I'm excited to hear what we got going on today. But uh, thanks to Rain's Patreon uh, supporters again. <laughs> that's the third time. So you guys go ahead and make your way over to the Kodiak Shack podcast website. And one day we're going to put a little Patreon link on there for you. It'll be a surprise. And then, you know, feel free to donate. But uh, let's go. <laughs> let's start. Vader, go with your TX updates. All right. Well, before I do that, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody. People have started uh, making comments on our YouTube videos and stuff. So I've been I've been trying to check that stuff out. Bender, you got to start looking because people are they're asking for more Bender like I passed you offline. Uh, so that's great. So we appreciate that for all the people who enjoy Kodiak Shack and the videos and everything. Uh, so TX update um, normally. So people who have not gone through formal upgrades. Uh, or like any sort of pilot training stuff, what ends up happening is uh, there are multiple people in the hopper or multiple classes in the hopper of m different people. Um, and what ends up happening, the course is ebb and flow. So you'll have a week where you have n almost nothing going on. And then you have weeks where you're like, man, this seems like we could have 
kind of peanut butter spread this training out. But that's just the way the military kind of trains because having a bunch of people available. So I am at the point where we are uh, full bore into all the training. And so it went from like two events a week to like three events a day. Um, so now we're hitting up a lot of the sims. We're getting into the tactical side of the F-15C, um, which means there are a lot of similarities to Viper tactics. And then there are some departures that get me in trouble rather quickly. Uh, so we were, um, have, did you guys, for uh, everybody who flew the Viper, I don't know if the 35 has them, uh, the uplooks for like the, you know, the uplook puffers, did you guys ever use them? Oh, oh like I did. No, like you would never, uh, for the Jamex, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in the pre-course. Never used it. Yeah. Like you synced it once, right? Or like calibrated it once. Yeah. You had to calibrate it like separately. And, yeah. uh, never. so it's in, in the C model, they, they use it more. They, they kind of lean on it more. And maybe it's cause I'm at the FTU. And so we train to it, but I'm like, nah, I don't. I'm not, I don't know how, cause what I end up doing for everybody who hasn't used it, it's like this little, uh, like display that you can kind of just like point at the bad guy, uh, if he's in certain places and try to shoot him with an off bore sight, uh, heat seeking missile. Uh, but the problem is when I try to point at the bad guy, uh, I end up stop flying the jet. So then I'm like, <laughs> go from like 300 knots to like 450 knots as I'm trying to shoot this missile. I'm like, I'm not even fighting BFM. Like, yeah, I should just like pull the point at him. And <laughs> right. so, yeah. yeah, so stuff like that. And then one other thing I, uh, I was in the sim, I did the standard, uh, standard trainee thing. Drago always says Drago Walters. He was on the show previously. Uh, he says that the being a wingman is a, uh, is a qual. Like if you're a flight lead, if you're an IP, you're not a wingman because you don't do the wingman thing. And sure enough, I'm trying to shoot, like shoot all my missiles and I don't look at my uh, element mate. We're in the sim luckily, and we get 0.2 nautical miles away from one another while we're about, at about 40,000 feet. So, uh, which is about uh, like 10 to 12,000 ish feet away from each other or 10 to 1200 feet away or a thousand to 1200 feet. Hard, it's the early morning. They were it's working Monday, on the East Monday Coast morning. times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were rather close. I mean, I could have read his lineup card uh, in the simulator. So uh, that, that was a rough way to start the sim. But uh, but overall, learning new things every day and expected contact range in even the worst of the Eagle radars is pretty darn nice. So doing that work on the uh, top half of the scope is pretty easy. But that's what so I hear. You're, you're on mech scan in the FTU, right? Yep. Yeah. You'll do, there are a couple V3s. So the AESA radars, which are like the real fancy new ones. Uh, but most of what we live fly is, uh, mech scan, like what's called the V zero. I only did WIC support for one, uh, Eagle TI sortie, which was the most excruciating experience of my life. The debrief with like every minute, you know, like we, you have to go capture where you are in space, what you're doing so that you can come back. And while the digital footprint and technology exists to like get through this in about five minutes, like, no, 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 we're going to take an hour and a half to go through and ask every single person at every single minute where they are. And if the chalk drawing is as depicted, but I remember <laughs> that one we did, it was sort North. He was, he wasn't a brand new wingman, right? But he was, I don't know, maybe six months out of like MQT and he had a 188 pod on his jet and he was like the low dude. And Eagles just straight bonsai, like 
wall of eight ship and sort just wrecked house like he killed like three of them it's like this shouldn't happen but sort the hero he was still is <laughs> good for him yeah just destroyed those eagles but they made I it mean, even better for the debrief jammers are you know it's i mean you can ask an electrical engineer which i am definitely not but jammers you know they've got they've got a pretty sweet job you know they can just go out and just be like i'm just gonna ruin the lives of some radars out there and turns out it works pretty darn well you know yeah i mean it's nice when your sole existence in life for that sortie was just to go wreck house and you didn't really have to worry about anything else just to make their life miserable and he did so i'm sure that wug the weapon school upgrade spent the next 18 hours of his life going through <laughs> that debrief of what happened and then probably got to see it again so that sounds great i don't know yeah, he's better for it, I'm sure. Yeah. I was really <laughs> I was really impressed with the uh the Super Hornet, their radar, because we would in Misawa we would integrate with the uh, Growlers, which is the same radar. Um, but then also talking to Super Hornets, I was at uh McIntyre doing uh kind of red air swaps for Growlers, or not Growlers, but F, uh Super Hornets. And uh we had a jamming pod, I think, on one of the jets as we were red air for this Super Hornet guy who is a backseat super hornet dude getting his flight lead upgrade um and he is in the debrief and uh he's like uh did you know did you guys have any jamming and i think we were like yeah and he's like and looks at his ip and he's like what does jamming look like uh because <laughs> apparently the radar just like works through jamming like he'd never experienced jamming he just like sees everything with this radar and i assume that's how the 35 is bender have you ever seen like jamming where you're like oh like that's that's challenging uh, uh only from other f-35s yeah so we can oh, okay. we kind of wreck shop <laughs> on each other which is yeah fun. well I, guess, I mean that makes sense the f-16 super good at that too co-channel interference will get you yeah. you know who doesn't yeah. have to worry about jamming satan right here exactly satan <laughs> well, you guys easier. at least can jam right do you Way guys carry easier. 184 pods yeah we do um yeah yeah the if you don't have a radar to jam man it's no big deal. You can't jam the paper map that I'm navigating on, dude. It's pretty great. It's easy. Just look outside. Piece of cake. Yes. They'll get lasers and melt the uh the like the wax pens and stuff. Yeah, that's what we should oh, yeah. yeah. Do you that use grease nice. pencils on the canopy? Is that are you one of those? It's guys? kind it's kind of a lost art. I haven't really done it in a while. I use it in the B course for like references for like where you're gonna put your plane of motion and stuff on uh uh for the jet for for new guys, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a thing that's gone away a little bit just cause you know, you can't really do that at night effectively. And you know, we've got, you know, so many lights and lip lights and all the other nice stuff. Uh, but old school guys definitely still do it for sure. Lip lights. That's a sensitive subject around Vader. So <laughs> I'm gotta, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the last bro chat, which isn't out yet, but by the time this releases, it will be out. Mm. There's a lip light discussion. I don't mm. know if I didn't have a lip light, I wouldn't, I would not be able to fly. Oh yeah. That's measles. That's a measles item. Yeah. I should not have flown. But. Yeah. That's super dangerous and really risky. I don't know. I couldn't venture, but we got Satan on the podcast, which is, which is fun for the bro chat. Again, Bender kind of mentioned it. Satan tends to just call it the way he sees it. There is a fighter pilot group on Facebook that there's a lot of discussion that happens back and forth. And usually when some shenanigans go down, Satan is like the first one to 
call it the way he sees it and gets everyone to chime in. My favorite and most recent right now, I guess not favorite, but the most recent is the master's degree. I, I posted about this a little bit. For those who don't know, there was a point in time where the Air Force required you have a master's to become a major or a lieutenant colonel. And it didn't matter what your master's was in. You would think like, hey, I'm going to get a master's in some kind of area of expertise that will make me better at doing my primary job. But no, this is not the case. It's viewed as just checking the box, so to speak, just so you can get promoted. It went away, and this is an effort to, I think, help fighter pilot ret- or just pilot retention in the beginning or period, because you're like, I don't need a master's degree to go out and fly a jet. So that went away, and then late breaking was it December 29th? Yep. Come effective one January, master's degrees are back in. And so there are a lot of us, there might be three of us sitting here that are meeting uh, promotion boards that if you didn't, if you took the word of the Air Force, like, hey, you're good, uh, surprise. Now, while the memo says, like, wants you to value it, it always evolves to like, well, he has a master's degree, she doesn't, so he's getting promoted or vice versa. So I don't know, it's, it's, I don't think we should talk about master's degrees. Satan, you had some good points <laughs> that brought up and it, it stirred the pot right off the get-go about master's degrees. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I I like to think of myself as the guy that writes the uh, the Jerry Maguire uh, manifesto, the things we think and do not say. I actually, you know, try to say them at least in an online form occasionally. But no, I think this is this is one of those things where it's yeah, you want people to get more educated in general. Sure, that's a good thing. That's a good idea. And there are certain jobs in the Air Force where you want to have that level of expertise for sure. Definitely in the developmental test you know, engineering, those kinds of things in the civilian sector, you want to have long-term high educated people, you know, thinking of all the fancy stuff that we're going to go out and fly around and break, you know, but the the huge downside that you alluded to is it's just going to crush dudes who are already doing way more with less being asked to do even more with less time, resources, what have you flying hours, et cetera. And it's just going to, make people more vulnerable to not getting promoted. Uh, because like you said, they're the, the promotion board system that we have, I think is, is fundamentally flawed in a lot of ways. And when you've got a bunch of people on the board, just kind of comparing uh, promotion recommendation folders and, and everything uh, to one another, you're going to, they're just going to look at the container and says, Oh, this guy's got a master's. This person doesn't No, nah, that's easy. And uh, one person is going to get promoted based off of uh, Cracker Jack Masters or, or whatever. And the other person isn't, even if, you know, they might be way better suited for command or, or higher, uh, higher rank in the Air Force. It's, it's frustrating for sure. Do you have uh, your master's? Who has their master's here? Not me. Uh, bachelor's Plus. I went and got Bachelor's Plus for my majors board, you know, seven, eight years ago. And then I quit because I was like, all right this is good enough for me. I never really had any aspirations or, or thoughts of making Lieutenant Colonel. So uh, that's why well, I stopped. If anyone has any questions about emergency management, I am a master in emergency <laughs> management. So that's very, yeah. very useful when it comes to operating aeroplanes. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I, I have so many questions because it's not surprising. They just threw it out end game and they just said like, you know, in two days, this is now a requirement where, you can't even say like, hey, in two promotion boards or something like in the time it would take someone to get a master's if they wanted to check that container now that it's like 
unmasked. Uh, they didn't even give you that time. And I've talked to one guy, so most of us know him, uh, Tron. He uh, made Viper Ops solid, uh, solid mission planning website. Uh, but he he went to the Air Force Academy. He the Air Force sent him to go get his master's. And so he's kind of he's got a really good perspective because he's one of the people who has his master's and he has it in something that is like a challenging thing. It's not like some BS master's. And, and it's so, from MIT, isn't it? Didn't he go to MIT? Uh, I think, uh, University of Boston. So, oh, Boston. So that was sweet. You kind of you kind of undercut him there, making him look near bad. MIT. But, but yeah, dang it. cut that out. Down, edit. This yeah. is edit point. But yeah, the uh, University is Boston. Boston is also good. But there's many people who go to Harvard or MIT or University of Boston or all these places who get legit masters, and they they don't get credit. They not not that they don't get credit, but they end up going they're late rated because they spend two years getting a master's and so their their argument would be and i'll be you know devil's advocate or maybe satan's advocate maybe that doesn't count because i'm <laughs> on the other side of this. but uh but they're saying like hey i i did this master's it's a good master's and i don't really get any props for it but i think the problem is like it's the implementation it's not the fact that you can see whether someone has a master's like satan said like is it just going to be a rote you have a master's, you get promoted, you know, and then it do, do you not get a definitely promote or what's known as a DP on a promotion board from a wing commander? Like, do those things change too now that you don't have a master's? Because my understanding is that's how it was back in 2010, 11, 12, before they got rid of it. It was kind of like, it would, it would color the way you got your push off your base. It would color the way the board looked at it. So do you guys know how that is expected to play out? Do you think it's just going to be rinse and repeat of the old days? I think from the group commander and wing commander up, they've always been able to see if you have your masters or not. And that was one thing I remember actually going to SOS, the squadron officer school, when this was being discussed and implemented to get rid of or to mask the masters. And the commandant, I don't remember who the guy was, but I wasn't super impressed. He's like, I value masters. I can still see that. So that's me how that is going to be a part of the calculus when it comes to racking stacking people off base in my mind like sweet the chief of staff of the air force like one week ago said we're going to value masters that are appropriate right getting some kind of technical one if you're in a technical career field but like i don't need a master's to go fly a jet um and but he basically said like mm, here's a middle finger chief i think this is really important so i'm going to do it teach his own so i don't think honestly that has really changed and that could have always been part of it but i think I don't know. Here's an assumption that most group commanders and wing commanders took that direction and they valued it appropriately. Maybe it was somewhere in the calculus, but now, and I don't know how the promotion boards work. I know it's now been split up between like line air force and, you know, ops, et cetera. So maybe it won't have that much of an impact, but the fact that, yeah, in game, you're like, Hey, surprise. And your board meets in 23 days, get your masters in 23 degree, 23 days. It had it been like, Hey, in two years time, this is going to change. That's fine. The rules of the game change, but allow people the appropriate amount of time to then absorb the rules and then go play the game. I think. Well, yeah. does anybody know the promotion rate from 04 to 05? Like let's, let's just refer in the fighter community specifically. Cause that's really all we care about. Like, do we know what the promotion rates are? Like, is this going to even change? We care about like, everybody, Vader. Yeah, oh, everybody. yeah, yeah that's that was true. so yeah, not inclusive, Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, we're really going to edit that one out. Yeah. <laughs> the, but the reality is like, 
are they hemorrhaging people so much that it's not going to matter? Like, are they going to say like, you need your masters, but then when they have like 20% of the 80% of people they need to hire, promote, have a master's, are they going to be like, yeah, well, we're hiring, we're promoting them anyway. I don't know. I can't imagine that it, I mean, I think they're struggling to have enough Lieutenant Colonels in the first place. So I don't, we'll have to see, I guess, but my guess is it won't be a huge factor probably for line of the air force. I don't know, but what I was going to say is what it does show or my beef with it and probably Satan's beef also is that they, they're just not good at valuing individuals anyway. You know what I mean? So it's, they don't value or they don't take into account that it, you know, if it takes resources and time to get a master's degree, right? So if they want their highest performing pilots in the squadron to continue to be the highest performing IPs and weapons officers or whatever, it's not like they allocate those guys time to go get a master's degree. They don't, right? They already burn those guys out anyway. So to put on top of that, what they're already demanding from their top performers, this other thing, you either get one or two things. Those guys aren't going to do it and they're going to get out of the Air Force and then you lose your best guys or they're going to burn their house down and their family relations down to get it and they're going to get something probably worthless so they're just wasting resources that way. Uh, so that's not good. And then they're going to get out and you're going to lose those guys uh, in the long term. Anyway, so they're just not good. This decision is not, at least on the surface, it's not a good use of managing resources right, from your people. They're already struggling to keep the best guys that there are and they're not keeping them. Like my squadron is full of awesome, like the top performers from like the weapons school. Like they're all flooding into the the hill reserves, other reserve units. Um, and so they, they just can't afford to do that. Like they got to be smarter about how they man, like how they value the time of the people who they actually want to be the leaders in the future. And this, like, this isn't that, you know, it's not going to have that effect. Yeah, I'm sure the Secretary of the Air Force was not intending to give the middle finger to all the bros uh, who are struggling <laughs> out there to, to hack the mission and everything. But in a lot of ways, that's how it was received. And it's it's just one of those one of those deals where um, the 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 intent, I'm sure, was was positive uh, to try to be beneficial to, to certain uh, people. And uh, like like I said earlier, uh, you know, promote education among the officer cadre to go fight fifth and sixth gen wars against, you know, China or Russia or whoever, right? Because you need smart people to do that. You need expertise. But ultimately, the second and third order side effects from this decision is going to be, I think, largely negative on retention, on getting the right people promoted. And it's just going to open the door for a lot more bad than good to occur. Yeah, it's like, do you want like, and again, we've said this, the horse is dead, but it's like, you want the engineer who's working at right Pat, who's developing the next gen weapon X, Y, or Z part of his career or her career progression should be at year X, you're going to go get a master's or a PhD from some high level institution. And then you're gonna come back and keep building awesome things. But as like a knuckle dragging fighter pilot, the majority of us don't need that to do what we are paid to go do you need go getting reps and jets and studying in the vault etc not going to get some liberty university which i just lost as a sponsor of this podcast uh <laughs> to get a master's degree or jacksonville state go gamecocks where i got my master's degree um like it zero value add it just took away time from doing 
honing my skill, took away time from family, burned out. And now again, like Bender said, you're going to force the people you need to be in, to be leaders in the future of the Air Force because they didn't get promoted. I don't know, like this, you, everyone in here probably has a story. And I remember right when I was leaving, there was a guy at Shaw who was a DO that did not get picked up for 05. So for Lieutenant Colonel for those listening. And he showed me his record. She's like, ah, well, you know, I mean, maybe he just had like a one-off. The guy had been a distinguished graduate of like four courses. You know, the all the things that we I, we know don't really matter, but do matter when it comes to promotion board, like stratifications and awards. The guy had all those. But when it came down to it, there were three other guys who were just as good as him. And unfortunately, they only had three guys they could give a definitely promote to. And he got a promote because they also had to spread the wealth out amongst the other career fields on base so that, you know, 75% of the people get a definitely promote. And that's, that goes on your promotion recommendation form. Again, for those who aren't familiar. And if you get a promote while well, you think that sounds good, that's kind of like, yeah, he's a, he's an average or she's an average and it might or might not be true. It's just the, when it comes down to it, it's a numbers game of who's authorized to, or the number they're getting promoted at Congress. This just goes on and on and on and on. You know, I don't know. It's, I think uh, one of the things that the timing is just odd. Yeah. Cause if we were just like, you know, packed to the gills with people who wanted to stay in and people who were like vying for higher ranks, you would think like, oh man, you know, this is a, this is a good way to kind of just create an easy delineation between who we want to keep around and who we don't. But the re retention is, is not awesome currently. And, and, and so you just wonder like, what was a driving force? I know the, the MFR or whatever the, the, the paper said, like, Hey, this is, this is our posturing. This is our way to show that we, you know, to our enemies that we value, you know, thinkers and people who can help us innovate to the, for the next war. But it's like, I feel like there's other ways that they could have done that to try to posture or demonstrate that, which I don't yeah. know. I mean, we, there are certain like test pilot school, right? That's a great example of a very focused master's degree for a purpose. And then, you know, the guys that go there, like we, Sonic Kirkman, he's one, he's a, he just got hired by our unit. Um, but the guy is, a, he's freaking brilliant. Went to, you know, whatever test pilot school, where do they get, they go get a master's somewhere. I can't remember where, but, and then comes back and he's like the lead F-35 test pilot or whatever. And he just did the accident or the safety investigation board for the F-35 that crashed up here at Hill. Um, but like to hear him like brief that and to show like everything that he went into to like find the root source of the problem and stuff. I mean, it was, I've never heard a SIB like that ever in my career in the Air Force. Like it was amazing. I'm like, dude, that guy is, you know, he's got to be like one of the top 10 minds in the Air Force probably, you know what I mean? And so it's, there is a way to like leverage people like that. And I think test pilot school is one way that we do it pretty well. Um, but we don't do it well outside of that. And it's not like, you know, the MFR says like we want, you know, for China or whatever, like those guys are all smart. We want to get smarter or whatever. But uh, like you said, an EMS degree from Jacksonville state where I got mine from Go a, yeah, <laughs> international relations master's degree from St. Mary's, which sounds like a pretty great university. It's St. Mary's San Antonio, which, <laughs> uh, you know, still a good university. Uh, so I, don't, I don't even know what the, I think it's the Roadrunners, but 
Um, anyway, that's not doing a whole, like, I don't think China is shaking in their boots because Benner has a, you know, international mm-hmm. relations degree. Um, yeah. In, in the end, it's going to be one of the guys you are flying with on a daily basis. Who's like a weapons officer, a much more valuable human being than me that, and, and I guarantee I'm gonna get promoted, but I have my master's degree, but that's something so silly. It's like, you got a guy who's out there like honing his skills, sharpening the knife to go fight the next fight and like, Oh, damn his masters. But this guy has a master's in emergency management. Let's promote him. You know, it's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. We'll see how it plays out. We here at the Kodiak Shack podcast would like to welcome our new sponsor, Adamus Cyber. Working with the military means there are some minimum cybersecurity requirements that are in every contract. Complying with these requirements can be painfully slow and really take your company's focus off your military customers and end users. Thankfully, the team at Adamus has simplified the process exclusively for small businesses working with the military. It should be expected that Security requirements are going to be a part of working with the military, but they don't have to be difficult. Learn why prior guests on the podcast like Arun from Ops Lab or Brian from Rescon use Atomus to comply with the NIST 800-171, DFARS 7012, and CMMC cybersecurity requirements in their contracts. Check out their website at www adamuscyber.com and tell them you heard about them from the Kodiak Shack podcast. Their website will be in the show notes. We appreciate all the companies that want to work with the military and we understand working with the government isn't always the easiest thing, uh, but we appreciate companies like Adamus that make it just a little bit easier. Yeah, I wonder because the weapons officer isn't really, it's not counted in any higher education, right? It's just like, hey, you've stratified being a weapons officer, even though it's it's a six month course, at least for, you know, the F-16 stuff, like, or, you know, most fighter things, six months course, that's pretty nut crushing, it sounds. But. Yeah. And then they got to spend the next one to three years of their life just getting punched in the throat in the fighter squadron, like going to conferences, working 15 hour days, like dissertation after dissertation, like mm, that you probably should value that person more. And it just seems like it's not always the case. So say once, oh, go ahead. Well, I wonder what the status of the A10 community is. Because I think this this is one. Like I don't know first, like Bender and Vader, what you guys thought. Like I always thought the A10 community had the highest morale of any of the fighter community, and I think while it might not be much better, I think the retention rate was slightly higher than other fighter crew. Like the Viper, I think was the worst by far, um, and it just got crushed. So I'm curious to A10 status of the A10 community, what your thoughts are. And then if you're willing to share, you know, some of your life changes and what, what the rationale is behind that, you don't have to, but. Yeah, no, it's all good. I, I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, yeah. We in the A10 community do have prided ourselves for a while on having a, a pretty good, uh, good, good dude or, or bro to, to non-bro ratio. Uh, I think my man Mobag described it as we're the social lubricants of the air force. Like we can, you know, make friends with the Viper guy, the Raptor guy and the Intel guy and the space nerd and all those guys and just, you know, all hang out and have a beer and have a good time and, and go win wars and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, right now I would say morale is, is not super great in the community. Not great, Bob, uh, if you will. Um, 
the uh, darn good, the, darn the future of the jet is is very much uh, uh, in doubt right now. I mean, it, it all, that's always been the case. You know, ten years ago, I remember being at uh, Moody and the chief of staff of the Air Force sat us all down in the mass briefing room for both squadrons and basically told us that we were done. The Air Force is getting rid of the A-10, and that was that. Well, he's gone, and we're still here. But right, that but the difference between then and now is we had a lot more political support in Congress. We had, you know, Senator McCain, Senator Ayotte, Martha Sally, a number of uh, pretty big name politicians who were willing to go to bat for the airframe and make the the or hold the Air Force's feet to the fire. Uh, with the cast mission and say, look, if you're going to get rid of this platform, what are you going to do to backfill it? Like you either need to have a, an honest to goodness capability that can meet or exceed the needs of, you know, the warfighter out there, or, you know, we're not going to let you do this until you do. Well, now that's, that's no longer the case. I mean, you saw in the last week, you can barely elect a, a speaker of the house, let alone, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen later in the year when it comes to you know budgets and debt ceilings and all those other things. So uh, the last NDA that just got passed officially uh, divested from one squadron worth of A-10s. Uh, the Fort Wayne Guard guys are switching from A-10s to Vipers, which honestly is fine. They've been trying to do that for years, and, and hey, good for you. They they were they got given Vipers, I think, uh, against their or they're given A-10s really against their will. But um, that's the first domino to fall uh, unit-wise in terms of um, uh, uh, the A-10s getting ready to shut down. For the Guard and Reserve side specifically, uh, we were, uh, my squadron was informed, our, our whole unit here was informed this past weekend that uh, per the Air Force roadmap, uh, this unit, the, the Reserve B course that, I'm, that I fly in and teach in, uh, is slated to shut down at the end of fiscal 25. So September 2025, uh, the squadron would be no more. Um, the last squadron, we were supposed to be the last squadron uh, standing, but um, they swapped us around with Whiteman. So now Whiteman will be the last guys around on least on the reserve side. Um, and then, yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. That's, that is a little bit shorter of a timeline than I think what a lot of people were anticipating. Um, and yeah, I mean, with the, with the end of GWAT effectively and, and everything, there's not really uh, a huge push to have a, uh, a dedicated cast platform that's out there every day, uh, doing the mission. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time to, to be, a. a an A-10 pilot Air Force. I still love it. It's great. Uh, if you're out there in pilot training and you get selected to fly the A-10, do not despair. You're going to learn a lot of great stuff. And the skills that you acquire in this community will carry you through the rest of your career because uh, I think the biggest difference between our community and, and the others that are out there is we have, you know, a, a support the ground warfighter mindset. We care about the guy on the ground. Our mission is the 18-year-old kid with a rifle in the mud getting shot at, and it's our job to go and save him. That's all we really care about and think about. And as long as you're going to fight wars with people in it and not have, you know, Terminator robots or whatever, that's going to be something that that is of value uh, to the Air Force. But, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating time. Um, we can go uh, way deeper into that topic if you want in terms of, 
future warfare, who's in charge of CAS, who, you know, should the army get A-10s or, or whatever, or should the army be in charge of its own uh, close air support air assets? Um, but it's, it's definitely a, a time of change uh, for us and uh, uh, definitely challenging for a lot of folks. I know I think, they're having discussions oh. about, sorry, they're like, we're, we're talking, you know, like ACE is the, the buzzword right now, right? And therefore, so agile combat employment, I think is what it stands for. But, you know, like going, <clears throat> I don't know how much, anyway, if we're talking like uh, islands and stuff and beachheads, things like that, they were talking uh, in a meeting that we were having the other day, but they were talking about like the A-10s role, like it was, they're like, we have to have this many for like counter beach landings or whatever. And I was like, holy hell, like that would be a sick mission. Like, yeah, heck yeah like nobody <laughs> could do better than an A-10. Like, can you imagine like A-10s rolling up and down the beach? So I think, I think there is, there's definitely nobody else that could do something like that. Right. As far as I know, like nobody could. I know an F-35 couldn't do that. Vipers do pretty, you know, they can strafe pretty well-ish. You know, if you're looking for a, kind of a wide area to hit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, nothing hardened. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing hardened, hardened. Uh, so keeping them survivable, like talk to me about that. So I, I know like we, that's what we talk about when we talk about like Vipers not being able to survive high end fights. Um, and they're much more capable of survival probably than an A-10. Maybe at least that's what we think, but you, you tell me like, can, can an A-10 get to that fight where he's protecting, you know, beaches in certain areas where things need to be protected. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> Beaches may be uh, a little challenging. As as far as the the South Pacific fight goes, I, I think our best role is just rolling heavy with mauled. Um, it's not currently integrated on the jet, but we can carry twelve of them on each airplane, which is as many as the B fifty two. You know, and so you get a four ship of A tens with forty eight mauled. You know, that's that's going to be pretty overwhelming to any A two A D or anti-axis aerial denial for, for those of you at home who are, who aren't full up on that. That's the, the short acronym for, uh, basically the, the super meds or the lots of surface to air missile threats and China basically trying to keep, uh, other people out of their little Island chains out there. 
but that that's a thing that we can do. We can hang around the battle space for a really long time. We can carry a lot of stuff and uh, we can, you know, kind of deconflict your battle space for you. So you can, if you were to do that, you could easily uh, overwhelm the enemy with that. If you put Jasm on it, you could have, you know, four Jasm and, and eight mauled on each airplane. That's a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm not full up on, on what the other platforms out there can carry, but it's, it's a good amount of weaponry. Um, but you know, all those integration processes take time and money and the air force doesn't really seem to be interested in either one of those things right now. So, uh, but yeah, we could, we could do the Island thing. We could, you know, the, the plane's got big, wide wheelbase, big wheels. We can off-road with the best of them, you know, land from on, on highways and dirt strips and, and stuff like that. Um, in terms of survivability, yeah, the, the air force in general, and you can talk about uh, this if you want, it seems to have. A, a while ago, it seems to have moved away from from electronic warfare as a, a priority and, and went kind of all in on stealth with a lot of stuff. And I'll alibi that I'm just a knuckle dragon A10 dude. I don't have all the fancy read ins that some fifth gen guys have. Uh, that's you know one of the one of those things that, that we just don't uh, necessarily get a lot of access to. But um, there are things that are out there that would make us more survivable if we just spent. Uh, I would say a modest amount of money on it. Um, and the, the other misnomer, I think it's a, 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 a talking point or misnomer or whatever you want to call it is yeah. The A-10 by itself in certain situations is definitely not survival. Neither is the Viper, but we've never gone to war like that. You know, we always force package. We always have, you know, different people doing their jobs specifically for what is best suited for their airframe. Use the right tool for the right job. Right. So uh, in a combined fight like that, I'd say we're survivable. We can definitely uh, contribute to the fight for sure, but it's just not, not in the current interest of the air force right now. We're right now, we're kind of getting treated like uh, Milton on office space where they just stop. We're, we're just going to stop uh, sustainment. We're going to stop, you know, your, your data link is going to expire in two years. Uh, your air, your, we're just we're gonna have these wings, but we're not gonna install them. We're fixing the glitch. It'll it'll be okay. We're just gonna you know put you in the basement right now, and we'll we'll let you know when we need you. Yeah, I think two things. Uh, the you know now that I'm an air dominance guy because I'm a C model guy now. The uh, you know <laughs> so when you're when you're kind of defending, and this is kind of holdover from being a seed guy. You know, defending platforms and kind of moving, you know, the entire group into a target area or into an AOR, uh, and then moving back out, uh, the, the, the problem set is, is flying slow. So whether it's a C-130 or a helicopter or an A-10, like when, if anybody's not keeping like 0.9 Mach or higher, it, it complicates the, the problem set. But, you know, so, so I think that is one of the tough parts is like, how do we protect the A-10s? You know, how do we as, a, as an entire package protect them? But then the other side, which I think a lot of people miss out is, you know, we always talk about A-10s and CAS, A-10s and CAS. And like a lot of people do CAS and no one does CAS as well as the A-10. But the one thing that no one else does is the Sandy mission that we, we don't, we don't have a fix. We don't have another platform. Like everybody else is like, well, we can kind of part task, like we'll make cast work, but nobody is like, Hey, we're going to make Sandy work. And so Satan, like, don't what get do shot you, down. 
Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, maybe Bender doesn't have to worry. But Question. so Satan, can you kind of just for people who don't understand what the Sandy mission is, and then can you kind of talk to how the A-10 fills it and then who could theoretically pick that up? <laughs> yeah, so the Sandy mission is uh, kind of shorthand. It's the call sign that the, the flying call sign that A-10s use when you're doing a combat search and rescue mission. So somebody gets shot down behind enemy lines, you got to go out, you got to find them, you got to protect them, and you got to protect the rescue vehicle assets, usually a HH-60 helicopter or, or an MV-22 or, or something like that. Uh, so you got to fight your way, in, find the guy, fight your way in, protect them long enough to pick up the person and then get out of it. And so the A-10 community has long, is, is really the only Air Force asset that is a rescue mission commander certified. Like we have an official training program for it. Um, it's, you know, the, the Sandy one upgrade is, is difficult. I, I went through the Sandy one upgrade, uh, uh, eight years ago or so very challenging, got some funny, uh, got a, the, one of the best debriefs ever was, was one of my Sandy one upgrade debriefs. So we'll talk about that some, uh, a little bit later, maybe we got time, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we're the only guys that do that. And there's really isn't another platform that is out there that is really well equipped to, to do it. Cause we have all the different radios. Uh, on board the jet that can interrogate the survival radio uh, with, you know, just via data, not voice. So I can get a, a good solid GPS location from a, from a survival radio. If that's broken, I can still triangulate. Everybody in the formation can kind of go out and do kind of what you guys do with the HTS pod and triangulate and find, you know, via ellipses where, where the person's at on the ground and still find them. You know, we can hang around long enough in the battle space to, you know, do all this stuff while integrating with all the other assets that are out there. And we've got all the radios and, and equipment and everything for it. Um, nobody else really does that. The few times that they've tried to do it with, with other platforms, it just doesn't really work out too well. The, like the HA60 community, great dudes uh, that are, are really good at what they do, but because you're flying at 50 feet, you can't really talk to everybody. You can't be an effective mission commander of a, of a force package if you can't talk to everyone. And when you're that low, communication is pretty tough. Um, HT-130s, yeah, maybe, but they're, they're pretty slow. They're not going to be able to do, to, to go, you know, over the fence and see what they can see um, without, you know, being at a huge risk uh, just because they're, they're slow and vulnerable and they don't really have any, uh, any offensive or, or too many defensive weapons available to them. Um, 10 years ago, when the A-10 was first slated to go away, they did do at the 422 at Nellis, they did start doing uh, some some science experiments, if you will, about who would be the best platform to take the Sandy role. And the two that I am at least currently aware of, it was Vipers and it was Strike Eagles. And I think most people initially thought that the Strike Eagle would be better because you got two people, you got a lot more gas, more legs. You can, you know, integrate and talk to everybody. You got more firepower. Uh, but it, I, my understanding without getting into too many details is that the, the Viper uh, actually performed better. Um, I think it, some of that had to do with the divisional labor in that airplane. Um, but it basically took eight Vipers rotating through, you know, the various Sandy rolls uh, just based off of loiter time to, be as effective as, as four A-10s in the, in the CSAR role. 
And so, yeah, that's that just really all I'm asking for, for the Air Force is to have an honest discussion of, okay, who's, who's going to take the mantle of this? And if nobody is the answer, then is that a risk that people are willing to accept, that the taxpayer is willing to accept, that uh, fighter pilots are willing to accept because, you know, it's going to be that much more difficult to get picked up behind enemy lines. I've seen various uh, things in the news about, um, from from senior Air Force leaders, kind of alluding to the fact that the Sea Star mission may now be too risky, um, uh, just with the with the current threat lowdown and, and everything like that. And I mean, don't get shot. Don't like, get shot down. We, we, yeah, yeah. yeah, don't get shot down. We'll we'll send you. I think the solution, the the short answer is we'll we'll send you a rocket pack or an Iron Man suit <laughs> right, or something. Right. We'll just yeah. we'll, we'll send on a little hypersonic missile package, and you just strap that on, and, and you can you can affect your own rescue that way. But um, no, nah, this is this is a th- uh, a mission that uh, was kind of born in, in 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 the fires of Vietnam, and there a lot of lessons were learned in, in blood. And between that and and the CAS mission, I think a lot of expertise is going to get lost, and you're just going to have to pay for those lessons in blood all over again if if nobody retains that knowledge in the in the culture and the community here. I got two things real quick. I'm say I want to say what you didn't say, which is surprising that, you know, the Viper obviously performed better. I mean, a strike Eagle twice the people have to essay that is a divisor. So I said it and, uh, it's out there, but also, you know, again, this is why I have a master's degree is we're hearing about the A-10 and survivability 0.9 mock yada, 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 gotta go fast. We've also talked about the next generation air dominance fighter. So. I propose we get the army involved in the development of the next generation air dominance fighter where Paco said, they're all going to be tailless. We know they'll put a tail on it because just like the F 35, we didn't need a canopy bow, but we got a fifth gen fighter that can do helicopter things. And now you got a canopy bow. So they'll just do something, you know, just completely bastardize, uh, in GAD and you know, it'll do the a 10 mission. So there you go. Problem solved. And, you know, Satan, I know you didn't do this on purpose, but you're talking to three original F-16 guys who pride themselves on being able to do multiple roles. And then hearing that the F-16 could handle Sandy, I was like, yes, like my my F-16 heart was very, uh, was overflowing. The uh, one you think, you know, I think a lot of people, this is, this is kind of just sidebar. A lot of people think F-16s are every base, just all the mission sets. But that's not re- that's not reality, and I think that's what the F sixteen has done relatively well is like they have specific bases that focus on seed suppression of enemy air defenses. They have specific bases that focus on AI like air interdiction, and they have sp- specific bases that focus on CAS. So I think it would be you know something similar to that where hey you have your block thirty bases your you know your your jets that are primarily CAS guys they would probably be the closest thing you could get to a to a relative replacement to an A10 cuz again the F16 is not going to do it better but it's it's the next best option you know and i think that's that's uh that's we'll we'll have to do it cuz not picking us up you know we can't just go and steal F14s uh like in Top Gun Maverick you know i mean theoretically <laughs> not with that attitude yeah yeah they try and try to win best picture you heard it here first I, I, best picture yeah, nominee yeah. Awesome. It was a, a great start, movie. Yeah. Start an air cart. Could anyone start an air cart? Nope. Yeah, you just do this and somebody, yeah. Yeah. And something <laughs> happens. Yeah. Swap it over. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I 
my, you know, dirty little secrets, I was an F-16 test engineer in my previous life as a civilian. And so I, I actually could probably remember how to start a Dash 60 card if, if I had a gun in my head. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah I'm hoping maybe it's a country where their F-16s have been uh, sold there or yeah. stolen there at some point. It probably will be. Yeah. It's not, the thing is you don't buy, so if the, if the critique of the A-10 is that it's not survival in a high-end mez, an F-16 circling around a survivor trying to protect them is equally as unsurvivable in the high-end mez as an A-10 is. Uh, in fact, it's probably less survival, to be honest. Um, just, you know, moving fast has advantages. If you do, if you're doing it for a specific purpose, you know, it's, it makes you a little bit more survivable. Um, but moving slow probably makes you a little bit more survivable in a mission like a Sandy mission. Uh, anyway, so the the reason why the F-16 would take that role on is only because they want to, you know, they're trying to divest of the A-10. It's not because the F-16 has any kind of benefit that the A-10, yeah. you know, doesn't have. So it doesn't solve the problem, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like the problem is still there. It's an unsurvivable mission for F-16s. It's a completely undoable mission for F-35. There's no way F-35s could be seen. I mean, they have a lot of SA and a lot of loiter time and all that, but it's the same thing. A turning F-35 is vulnerable. You know what I mean? It's just the it's the nature of the beast. So all those advantages that we get from LO and all that stuff, it's just not made for that mission. So we got to figure out something. That can well, you got to pick the guy up. And remember, like, the Air Force initially is going to buy HH-60 whiskey models, and they started rolling that out at Moody. I think the original purchase was, like, 123 something like that. And then they, they slash in half basically because they've said this is an unsurvivable mission. I mean, if it takes four hours and I can, you know, talk, you know, Syria, right. We're all there. When, uh, the Jordanian went down when we were there, it was a four and a half hour flight to pick him up. And then they started moving things forward, but even still, like there's some areas you're operating that, you know, best case scenario, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours that they're going to pick you up, which that's flying into an environment that doesn't have crazy double digit surface air missiles and, and yeah, integrated air defenses and yeah, yada, yada, yada. So maybe, maybe it goes back to like, you know, objective one, don't get shot down. And two, whatever it is, the mission is of that day, be, be a champion. It's not a good, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good spot to be. Now you want to yeah. go down over the wall, probably in that fight for sure. Like if, if you go over the line, like, just enjoy the food. Oh, I guess. Deal with the sharks? Are you kidding me? I've seen Jaws. The uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the guys uh, MITX now. He's an A10 guy from Fort Wayne. He's uh, he's transitioned to the C model, which that is a challenging change. Like he has, he said he has no bad habits because he has no habits at all. So he, uh, <laughs> but the uh, he was saying at least at Fort Wayne, maybe maybe at other A10 bases, but he said. I think it was every sortie or almost every sortie he shot the gun. And I was like, that is a great way to keep morale high. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're just like every day, like, yeah, 400 rounds, no big deal. Like that's pretty awesome. Like that's, that's a good technique for keeping fighter pilots happy. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I, I savor every trigger pull I get because uh, Rain was alluding to it earlier, but uh, made, made some life choices uh, coming up here where I'm probably going to stop flying the A-10 later this year. But um, no, it's, it's awesome. You know, we, the standard is 200 rounds uh, every CT sortie. And then if the syllabus drives it, it's, you know, you get 360 or, or sometimes more uh, at WIC. They get to shoot combat mix as opposed to just the target practice rounds that pretty much everybody else shoots. Um, yeah, A-10 WIC is, I think, 
the most expensive wick because everything's real. It's all lives all the time. You got to shoot, you know, high fidelity targets. You're, you're dropping everything in the inventory. Uh, and it's, it's a blast. Uh, you know, it's, it, the, we love making fun of you guys up at 30,000 feet playing, you know, your laser tag games, pew, pew, got you. No, oh, yeah, huh. <laughs> really all we're doing is just shacking metal on metal, you know, high explosive, you know, Maverick missiles going off, just fire, fire and death all every day, all day. And, and, and we love it. It's great. Um, yeah, the, that is, is definitely a, a, a point of pride in the community and, and definitely uh, uh, something that, like I said, all you youngins out there, looking to maybe still fly the A-10 before it goes away. You're, you're still, you're going to get plenty of opportunities to, to drop and shoot. So don't, don't sweat it. Yeah. And our, when we graduated Viper B course, we went down to the range down in Arizona or whatever. And the, the Vipers did a couple passes, which it's awesome to see Vipers do passes, but then the A-10s rolled in and they did their, I don't know how low you guys go. It's like 75 feet. So they look like they're, you know, we're standing pretty close to the target. <clears throat> and those, those guys came in at 75 feet or whatever. And I had my little kids and they, the first one that just opened the gun, I kid you not, it knocked down my two-year-old. Like it literally flattened her on her back. Everybody else just like screamed in terror and she couldn't like talk for like two minutes. It was like, holy crap. It was awesome. So no, I mean, it's terrifying, you know, like nobody's going to do anything for a couple of minutes probably if there's an A-10 shooting at it. Yeah. And that's, that's again, the other difference maker in any kind of a ground fight is, you know, if you're, if you're a kid getting shot at from bad guys and then, you know, hog shows up and starts laying down 30 millimeter, you're just like, Holy crap. This like, I, my will to fight is renewed. If you're on the receiving end of that, you know, you're like, I need to get out of here. Cause I ain't going to last long. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a game changer. It absolutely is. Um, and that's something that, that nobody else can really do uh, as effectively as, as we can. Um, so we'll, like I said, we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, I'm holding out hope for the A-10E Sky Raider 2 acquisition program, you know, like what the Navy did with uh, Super Hornets. Maybe you can backdoor a, a four and a half gen cast platform that looks and smells a lot like an A-10, but um, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, it's a fun mission for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I I was talking to some guy, we were at SOS, and I think he was trying to like slight me, you know, he, he was a good dude, but he was just making a joke. And he was like, okay, so the F-16 has a 20 millimeter cannon. I was like, that's right. And he's like, and the A-10 is a 30 millimeter cannon. I was like, that's right. And he's like, so if you do the math, it's it's not just like 10 millimeter larger, it's like 100% larger of like the overall bullet size. And I was like, yeah, that checks. Like you're, you are correct. And it doesn't even hurt my feelings. Like I, I am impressed with it as well. You know, like it is, <laughs> well, you look at, you know, like the A-10s use their gun on buildings and you know, they're like, Oh, you got somebody in the building. I'll just shoot them inside, you know? And you're like the F-16 and it looks like someone's setting off M-80s on the roof and the A-10 shoots it and it's like Swiss cheese and you're holy smokes. All right. Good work. Solid gun. I watched one A-10 on the strafe and it hit Oh, it was just a single round that hit this ISIS individual who then like no longer existed after it. But I mean, you're shooting forearms at people that have grenades. Yeah. It's crazy. It'd be a fun gun to shoot just once. Yeah. Maybe twice. That's I, always I my favorite. That. 
ride in the B course is when the test pilot school guys come out and they get one ride in the A10 and they, there's there's like a run card thing that they got to do with a bunch of nerdy stuff on it, but most of them just scoff it and just go straight to the range and just, you know, <laughs> ah, we're just going to shoot all the bullets. We're going to ripple the pot of rockets. I always try to negotiate with the top three to give them some extra rounds. Uh, it's it's always fun. It's 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 a ten appreciation day for them for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I don't, what's the gun pod? The F thirty five gun pods for the Navy and Marines. I I they might only be twenty five millimeter, but they might be thirty millimeter. I don't I'll have to look that up. That'd be pretty. I think it's more twenty five. They tried to do the thirty millimeter. I think they they tried a thirty millimeter pod on the the Viper way back in you know Gulf War one times when they were did that that weird Delta version like F sixteen XL. And all the other stuff but i mean you can't like it's when you try to strap something like that onto a jet it's just you run into so many engineering problems accuracy problems vibration problem all that stuff and it's just nowhere near as effective as a purpose-built gun with wings and engines on it and it's just super accurate and super effective yeah i think the coolest part too is like the flight controls locking out on the a10 when you pull the trigger is like half detent the flight controls lock out I could really use that in the Viper on strafing. <laughs> I like, think like Zorro, Zorro the target. I target. think you got it. So shout out to my my homies at the four sixteenth still doing the Lord's work out there. But I'm pretty sure they it was called like Death Claw or something, where it it basically does the the same thing where it engages the autopilot of the jet on the first detent and effectively locks the pipper onto whatever you've got it on on the ground and it'll dampen out any you know turbulence or, or whatever that's that's impacting your aim and it just makes for way more accurate shots so i don't know which blocks or, or variants got that but uh i think it's pretty effective is my understanding yeah turbulence is always affecting me on the strafing run that's the issue so i need a turbulence yeah. dampening <laughs> like control yeah. logic it wasn't the fact that I was 450 knots trying <laughs> right. to extend the speed brakes while I'm trying to shoot the gun. Right. And, and with the flight control logic, does this, the flight control logic switch over like what, 425 or something? Yeah, is that the 0.7 to 0.9 Mach? Yeah. So yeah, once you so, got above that, it was all over the place. Yep. Uh, that was my issue every time. Yeah. That's yeah. death cloth. It's, it it's got a good spread, though. I mean, I killed some stuff with the gun. I just yeah. had to, you know, hit a lot of empty space first, but yeah. eventually I found the thing. Well, that's why you got a hundred rounds per second, you know, instead of 70 rounds per second, you know, you need a few extra rounds per second. The uh, one thing I saw, I've never obviously flown the A-10, but just kind of looking at the cockpit is out the front of the A-10, there is, there's a lot of hardware. I mean, you've got like the HUD and the arms, and then you've got like the, the, I don't know what the glass kind of combining or the bars that are holding it, but it, it doesn't look like the visibility out the front is, uh, is awesome. I would, I would assume. It's like a football helmet, man. You just gotta, you know, yeah. put on, put on the helmet. You got all the bars and stuff in the way, but uh, it's, it's there for a purpose. So the, the A-10 is built to, to take damage. Like unlike most other airplanes that, you know, you're, you rely on stealth or speed or maneuverability or whatever. Like we're, we're built to take hits. We assume that we're getting shot at every time we go over the target. We assume we're probably going to take, uh, hits uh, out there, and that's that's what the jet was built for. You got the titanium bathtub, you know the the front windscreen is is designed to take anything up to uh, your, your design. It's the the whole thing is designed to take up to twenty three millimeter and still keep going. So um, yeah, the the forward viz isn't nearly what you get in the Viper or, or a lot of other platforms that are out there. But you just kind of get used to it. 
Uh, you're not, most of the time you're not necessarily looking forward. You're kind of offset holding to the, to the side or whatever, or you're wheeling it up and you're just looking over the rail. And the viz on that is great because the wing, the cockpit is so much forward of the wing. It's a weird thing that most people don't think about, but if you ended up and ever flying like the T6 or the Super Tucano or any of those uh, planes like the, um, that are supposed to do, you know, counterinsurgency casts or things like that, it's a lot trickier than it is in the A-10 because you can't just bank and, and orbit over the target and still see because the wing is right there. So uh, it's all it's all built with a purpose. Uh, the, it's a great, great designed airplane. Um, and probably never seen anything like it again, unfortunately. I love if, if we're talking, uh, football helmets, I feel like the F-16 is, uh, the canopy is like that old, uh, football kicker helmet where it was just like one bar down here, you know, that was like all it had didn't really protect you for much, but darn the visibility was good. The, uh, <laughs> does the A-10 do left-hand wheels or right-hand wheels? Uh, we right now are a, uh, right-hand wheel community. It used to be left-hand, but then. Oh, oh. Again, a bunch of smart guys doped out. Hey, we should put the targeting pot on the right side because in X, like if the left engine seizes and this and that happens, blah, 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 Bill got a control. So P4 they started factor. putting the pot on the right side. Yeah. Started putting it on the right side uh, about 10 years ago. That's what we did. The, Can you imagine well, making like people change like, hey, you're going to put the radar over your right knee, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, man. I don't know what bender again i think he just it plugs into the back of his head and he just like reads what's happening but it's like we had to switch like mfds where the radar was like it would be uproar yeah well bender yeah, does I'm so doable. i i just assumed everybody did right hand wheels because a10s do right hand wheels f16s do right hand wheels and then i was like hornets and strike eagles do left hand wheels is my understanding. Somebody will fact check that. Well, so that's is- the problem with the strike wheel that we found it. That's the root cause. Makes yeah, sense. Makes sense they, now. I think I, I believe lost they all your strike eagle listeners. Dang it. Sorry. <laughs> well, God. well I mean, strike eagle. Rain started it. The uh I had to does- say it. Satan yeah. didn't say it. He was gonna say it, but <laughs> it had to be said. Bender does the does the 35, I mean like cast wheel with the weird pod under the nose not weird sorry the pod under the nose the super advanced pod under the nose yes correct you are correct that's like six generations less advanced than all of your pods well it's it's funny the rest of the the glass is like very smooth and that one is the opposite but i understand why so left hand wheel right hand wheel we are ambidextrous as far as wheels go So just yeah. like, oh, we're hanging out with yeah, Hornets right. today. We'll do left-hand wheels. We're, we're yeah. Vipers today. We'll go right-hand wheels. Yeah, and we'll like miss that. whatever we're trying to hit on either <laughs> left-hand wheels or right-hand wheels. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tough. Like, I, I haven't done a whole lot of casts. Uh, we will wheel it up if we're going to do, like, high-angle strafe and stuff, and then you just kind of make it happen, which is fun. But we don't, you know, we don't do BSA and stuff, which is tragic because that's a fun mission. So we don't spend a lot of time doing that. Um, i trying to think if... It's just a hard, like, it's just not made to, and if I spent a lot of time doing it, I could probably figure it out. But in the F-16, it was like, great, you had the HSI, and you did have whatever arrow pointed at the thing, and it gave you, like, your miles away. So you always knew where you were in relation to the target. In the F-35, like, it's just not, it's a lot of effort to try to get that kind of information. And so just staying in a 5 to 10-mile wheel around something, like, I have not been super successful up to this point, so... Uh, there are different challenges. It's just not made to do that. Like in the F-16, 
which isn't made to do that like an F and like an A10 is, but even the F16 was much more, you know, it was much more uh, convenient in that in that regard. Though, so we don't do a lot of wheels now, but we do have GB12s, which is you know great. It's a very fifth genny weapon. You know, you want to get in there have... like LO, and then right when you're like ten miles from the target, you want to open your doors. You want to like release this bomb and then lays it in. It's great. It's awesome. Super LO. Yeah. What are some of the, with the A-10, because it's got one mission set, so it can get really good at it. What are some of the trends that Pete, like students, you know, at the FTU kind of struggle with when they're trying to figure out air-to-ground life? Uh, it's it's a little bit of everything. Usually it's the, the biggest thing is uh, just kind of the, the task management piece. So we try to make it a pretty straightforward building block approach where we're just going to teach you how to do like, one thing decently at a time. And then by the time you get to the end of the cast phase, we start task loading them with, all right, I'm going to give you a, a position change, a frequency change and tell you to fence in and you got to figure out how to do all that at the same time. And so that's, that's usually where, where people struggle. Um, it's, it, 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 it generally students do pretty well now going back to some of the earlier topics um, that you guys were talking about in previous bro chats with the whole UPT, you know, 2.5 and everything. Um, you know, we had, we had students that struggled with struggled with basic airmanship for a while. I think the root cause on, on that was largely COVID and just poor flying continuity and, and everything that kind of happened because of, of COVID largely. Um, but since then, you know, things I think have, have leveled out pretty well. We've started getting uh, some UPT 2.5 people in the last couple of classes. I haven't really been keeping track of who's who intentionally, just so that, you know, we can go to the end and be like, okay, who's what and you know, who went through what course and, and be somewhat surprised and, and not have any, you know, biases or anything like that. Um, but uh, really just like the first time you point at the ground, with when you're going to drop a bomb or shoot the gun is, is definitely a, an emotional event for, for a lot of folks. Um, and just having, you know, going through that mental checklist of, okay, what's my dive angle? Where's the target? What am I still legal to drop? All right. How do I maneuver the airplane to get to where it's going? And Oh, by the way, airspeed's increasing rapidly during this whole thing. And it's getting louder and louder because of the wind and, and all that stuff. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's um that's definitely uh i, I think an early an early challenge for students to just kind of you know building their mental shock clock of, of what they can do uh and uh either down the chute or in the hold when you're getting a bunch of you know nuggets down tasks and things like that because we still fly primarily visual formations we're not like everybody else who flies like sensor line and you know, spread formations where you're lying on radar SA or link SA or anything like that. We still generally fly uh, visual formations for the most part in at least at the B course level. And then, uh, you know, kind of ramp things up from there. The, uh, I did red air for uh, A-10 ACM. So air combat maneuvering uh, because A-10 still trained to kind of air to air, you know, cause if you get rolled up, you need to know how to defend yourself. And, uh, it, it definitely made me, even though I knew it was training, it made me concerned for my life when the A-10 guys were like, cool, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll consider a valid gun kill as a two-second track. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, like how many 30 millimeter do you need to kill me in an F-16? Uh, but it, it seemed excessive for two seconds of 30 millimeter on my jet. And I was like, okay, I mean, you got to shoot every piece of the airplane. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. I think. Uh, I, oh yeah. I Viper and a, a Raptor on the side of his jet because Loco and I went out. Loco flying the Raptor. We went out and did a high aspect BFM, and so the first time fighting Shiv, like, well, he's an A10, so I'm just gonna go straight up once we hit the merge. And it turns out, old Shiv, as I look across the circle, is going straight up as well. I'm like, well, this is an interesting move. It's a bold move, Cotton. But <laughs> as he's like two and a half miles away from me and nose is falling through the horizon, he calls a snap. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess it's a big old bullet, but I was in the HUD at some point, so it's just going to fly across the circle, you know, for two and a half miles. It probably would hit me. I don't know. Like, but, you know, stirred up the entire world. I occasionally see that article pop up with a E-10 with the side of a little yeah. bit of a Raptor and a Viper on there, and everyone's just losing their minds. Yeah. I want to see those tapes. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. like, I, I don't believe this. Yeah. Shiv, you're listening. No, you know, give him credit. Hey, he called it. It's on the plane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he went up. You know what? So I'll give him credit because I did not anticipate that he was going to go into the vertical, but he also knew that I was not anticipating that. So yeah. we can go, that's, that's we can go, go vertical once. We can yeah, go vertical yeah. once. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep going up. So I'll see you down there in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later. Yeah. You got to. I mean, you got you can just fight with the 135 degrees of aspect. Like that's your big defense. Yeah. If you just point at us so we can't get, you're like, dang it. So <laughs> I I did I fought a C130. I don't know why we did this, but in Masawa, a C130. I don't. Did you do that, Vader? I don't. I don't know if everybody got to, but they were just like, we just want to, you know, practice our defensive reactions, or whatever. So just gun us for 20 minutes. So it was a lot of fun, but it was actually like really challenging because the thing was going like 140 miles an hour with a 700 foot turning radius. So every time, you know, you're like, you'd have to like start the engagement before he points at you. And then he's got to rotate all the way through so that you can kill him within the training rules or whatever. Anyway, it was, it ended up being pretty tough. So it was mostly just like straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. Killing the C-130. It was a lot of fun. But I assume A-10s, I mean, you fight like that too, except for you shoot back, which would be not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> As the nose rotates through 30 millimeter all around you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did the same thing with a C-17 when I was in South Carolina. And uh, the thing that I was surprised that they were surprised about, they were like, okay, so we normally do our defensive reactions at 500 feet AGL or a thousand feet AGL. And they were like, so we'll just do that. And then you can try to gun us. And I was like, no, like we can't, we can't do unlimited maneuvering at a thousand feet over the water at a hundred and some knots and they're like why not i was like because that's that is insane uh so we <laughs> they were like upset that we had to set the floor at five thousand feet uh and pretend that was the ground but yeah i just i wasn't in the airplane i was trying to gun the airplane but the way they explained it to me is like everybody picks a window and they're all other than the pilot flying is like staring out the window and so they have these little like portholes on the back doors and so literally I would go directly above the plane, like the C-17 and then try to pick a side to like get, pull some lead. And then that person would be like, he's over here. I imagine, you know, and then, <laughs> and then they would like turn into me. And, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest thing. Like if you were trying to take that plane down, like it would not, it would not be like a zap and then you move on, you know, you probably have a couple attempts to, to get it, get it complete. I mean, maybe the A-10 could do it in one one gun squeeze, but 
Probably. Probably. Well, well uh, yeah, uh, more bullets coming out every second. So, yeah. And again, they're forearms with yeah. HEI. So it's going to hurt when it hits you. I would say, I know we're an hour and 10 minutes here. I mean, minus a couple seconds, because we'll shave that off for the intro. But Bender did a phenomenal job with the intro. Um, I was impressed. Any 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 highlights, parting shots for wrap up? I know Bender's got to get out of the slopes. It's a rough, well, it's a rough money. Satan said he's got a debrief story. So I want him to end with Ooh. that. And then maybe we can yeah. wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is known, at least in uh, in my friend's circle and in parts of the A10 community, is the the space helmet debrief. So so there I was, you know, in, no. in the in this <laughs> stuff. No shit. Um, <laughs> they were trying to make me a Sandy one in one week so we could go to Nellis to do this uh, named exercise that I can't talk about right now. But um, the uh, the schedule was a Tuesday night alert upgrade a wednesday day mpc cycle into a thursday night pre-planned ride so pretty action packed pretty busy pretty standard for the 23rd fighter group out of moody um so i go out tuesday night the squadron commander is my ip of record and you know i go out and night night stuff for us is, is generally more difficult because again no radar go figure um, and I go out and I, they call it the Sandy one blanket, uh, or all you do is Sandy one is you just get super task focused on talking to the survivor and you just completely scoff the rest of the, the, uh, formation and the strike package and everything. And all you do is just talk to this one person and you just, it's called pulling the Sandy one blanket over your nugget. And, uh, I did that big time and hooked the crap out of that ride. And so that was a great way to start the week. So we got done debriefing that at like two or three in the morning. And then I had to show up at like 8 a.m. for the whole all day mission planning cycle that my weapons officer drifter dragged me through basically with my collar, like just like, all right, dude, you need to ask me this because I'm the seed guy now. So say this. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, good. Now you need to tell all the air to air guys this timeline. You need to tell the tanker guys this. And I'm just like, uh, whatever. He's basically sock puppeting me through the whole day. And so Thursday rolls around and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to die today. Like I, I am going to go out and kick ass on this ride. Like there's nothing that's going to stop me. I don't care. It's going to be awesome. So I go out, I give the brief and the brief actually goes pretty good. I go out and do the flight. The flight actually goes pretty good. Um, and then we get to the debrief and Drifter's still like kind of, well, no, you know, he's a little bit on the fence, him and on. And so in the debrief, so I, you know, talk through everything. It's about two or three in the morning and he's still kind of like on the fence a little bit, but I know something about Drifter and I know that Drifter is a big Taylor Swift fan and this <laughs> Oh, oh man, cliffhanger, and he's gone. Taylor yeah. Swift, he's gone. Come back. Yeah. If there's one Where thing we you want to hear, story is going. yeah. <laughs> That's Taylor like Swift walks out. Yeah. The episode with uh, Jocko. Willink? Um, no, yeah, no, not, no, not, not Jocko Willink. Um, <laughs> Trimble and it's POW in Vietnam, and he was he got shot down, but he was telling me the story, and he was like right. To where he was gearing to get shot down. And then it's like, boom, 
he was gone. And I was like, ah, it's a cliffhanger. People listen to the episode have no idea. There was some like <laughs> surgery that went on after in the post-production, but um, this one, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to get the story. Yeah. Taylor Swift, yeah. Drifter and Taylor Swift. didn't die. Yeah. got to get him back. Let's see. Oh, I got to say, yeah. Vader, your camera, your camera is, it's impressing today. I don't know. What Look the at difference that. Is from I mean, I kept the really window open. Notice, Maybe yeah. I've just got natural light. Added light. Yeah. yeah. Are you getting some Marriott points? Uh, or are you on base? Uh, all the Marriott points. There you go. Yeah. 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 It looks like a For little Marriott. I appreciate that you know by your travels. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, yeah, like a hundred plus days. Uh, yeah. In this TX, so yeah, Dang. I think I think it's like Where titanium. Gonna... It's something. Yeah. You definitely yeah, we're gonna take Allie. Point. You gotta take Allie somewhere. Yeah, some. I mean, we'll I watch the what. kids. You take her somewhere cool. All right. Yeah. yeah. Des Moines. Well, um, Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wherever the Mountain chief flights. Home, Idaho. Yeah, we now we've yeah. we've alienated Des Moines. Yeah. Uh, Liberty <laughs> University. Strike Eagles. <laughs> who else? Who else? This this episode. I treated my university pretty well. I feel like St. Mary's will be excited about yeah. what I said. Yeah. yeah. Satan says stand by. Yeah. I mean. Jacksonville State, great university. I mean, but, you know. Yeah, Deion Sanders, that's where, uh, you know, he turned that place around. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same one. I think there's a lot of Jacksonville States and Jackson States. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's Jackson State. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. I should have just lost touch after, uh, you know, I got my certificate and said, this is uh, check, so I should be able to get promoted. Yeah, The sad part about my major, like, when I got my master's, it was, well, everybody said, like, get it done, like, early in your career when you're not like super busy. So I have almost zero memories of like Ben as a baby because I would go to work for 12 hours and I'd come home and do three hours of freaking masters every night. And I never saw the kid. Like, anyway, that's, that's it's like, why would you do that to people? Don't do that to people. It's stupid. <laughs> that's the saddest well, you know. story I've heard. That is. Well, I feel <laughs> the same way right now. I've been, I've been TDY for four, four plus months of the five months. My son has been alive and it's like, yeah, cool yeah. kid but, but yeah. you are a titanium member at marriott that's true he's gonna appreciate that he's yeah, gonna you, be really happy you at least have six free nights at a level two or below hotel <laughs> that's right it does say i get uh upgrades to the not just like a regular upgrade but like an even nicer upgrade yeah. but again we we have to put these things to the test i you know just having it is not the thing i yeah, do have to you- say I was oh. like, when you check in, you're going to get two free bottles of water and a bag of chips now. I like it. Hopefully, they're kettle chips. Those are my favorite. No, no, no. Yeah. They're Lay's. Plain. When we, no, well, Lays. Bender, yeah. you remember because we yeah. went to Guam and Compton, he uh, he was a, he did the C12 upgrade in Meridian, Mississippi. And uh, we all know there. And, but he stayed in a Hilton for like four and a half months or three and a half months. And so when he was the pro Joe to take us to Guam, he was like, we are staying at the Hilton and every, he got upgraded to the suite. So we were double booked. So him and Stuka got this like massive suite. They'd be sitting on their balcony, drinking coffee in the morning. Uh, and they got free breakfast, the like $28 buffet. Uh, they got it free. I had no idea day. that was happening. Oh yeah. I was like Compton would say that this was the worst thing. Cause Compton was like, you know, keeping his diet on point. Cause he was going to the beach. He would literally get a $28 free breakfast every morning and eat like bananas dipped in peanut butter and like oatmeal. And I'm like, they have like bacon and <laughs> eggs and everything. Like, yeah. It's not you, Vader. You're going to be That's, oh, yeah. sitting yeah. in your suite while the rest of the squadron 
down on the first floor. I, so might, when I did MC12s, I had it teed up. I was in a Marriott in whatever Roseville, you know, near Beale. It's gonna be awesome. I was gonna rack up like five hundred thousand points. The game plan was already laid out. Guys had already done it. I was there for three nights, and then they forced us all to move on base. Uh, it was like the, the worst. Yeah, because yeah. I heard like one guy who's like, uh, he went and racked up like five hundred thousand Marriott points. <laughs> Go anywhere in the world for like two weeks, you know, yeah. travel in every little pod on every airplane. And I, mm. I got the like four to a building like rooms whatever with like a shared kitchen that was built in 1943 and yeah yeah, but you're gonna want those air force ins points yeah they're worth a lot so you don't get yeah you don't want the brown blanket you want like the tan (laughs) blanket like get the little upgrade going which i did when well we did the drago podcast i was um staying at the navy Inn at pensacola Mm. and that was just a refresher and appreciation for i don't know a courtyard marriott after that point yeah. like, oh it's like right here on the yeah. water i'm like oh sweet not that like my hands are my hands are getting pretty soft in my old age but, like that bed like this thing is a piece of wet cardboard that has no support whatsoever and the sheets the sheets were like a two thread count so it was like i don't yeah. know 80 grit sandpaper yeah. <laughs> these are air force problems like marines and yeah. army listen to this and just like outrage but here's Probably. satan look at this satan's there, he's back. back satan's back you back everyone just sorry about that i think no they have to experience this too we were on uh as a cliffhanger and i don't think we edited this out but uh nope. it was yeah. drifter's favorite person is taylor swift so yeah yeah and he loves action. taylor swift and it's 3 a.m and uh you know we we just start drinking adult beverages and i just start bumping taylor swift in the bar to try to you know ply him into passing me on this ride and so one thing leads to another. And uh, the other thing that's going on is um, at 6 a.m., there's a showtime for one of those glorious wing uh, runs around the base. So because it's the 23rd wing, it's going to be a 2.3-mile formation run. So, you know, people start showing up in PT gear, and the bar sounds like a you know full-up roll call is happening, you know, because we're just blasting music and having a great time. And I've got in this uh, this old MiG-25 space helmet from, I don't know where they got it, from one of those European TSPs that they did. But there's a video, I'll send it to you guys here in a, in a little bit. There's a video that somebody took of me because they walk into the bar and I'm dancing to Taylor Swift wearing this Soviet MiG pilot helmet and smoking a cigar and just dancing my butt off to try to pass this ride. And I ended up passing the ride and it was great. But people were like, what's going on? Everyone's trash. Drifters, you know, asleep in the trunk of his car. You know, it's nine. It, <laughs> like people are like driving when they shouldn't be driving at like 9 a.m. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> what, did, what did Satan do <laughs> to, to merit this? You know, so that that was always colloquially known as the space on the But I did. I passed the ride. The next week I made up the other ride and made Sandy one. And went out to Nellis and, and did great things. And now I'm here talking to you guys. So it was a, it was a fun time for sure. <laughs> this is a, a yeah, literal a step, stepping stone to make it here. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Taylor Swift to get you moving. It. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, just the fact that there is a wing fun run on a night week, um, that just kind of like solidifies. At 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Every Every standard. Everything's Every closing standard. down at 2 a.m. on base. Like, oh, yeah, 6 a.m. fun run. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, they did leave work at 3.30 the day prior, so. Also, <laughs> also true. Yeah. Very, very true. Well, uh, 
gents, I enjoyed it. You guys, any parting shots before we blast out of here? No, this was awesome. Nice to meet you, Satan. Yeah, great yeah. meeting you guys too. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, happy to chat with you guys anytime, anywhere about anything. We should just start, like someone should take the time to go through and capture all of Satan's uh, Facebook post and yeah. put that into a book. Ooh, that'd be good. <laughs> That's what we should do. All right. I'm kind of bummed I didn't get any ACSC credit for all that stuff. I feel like I deserve some <laughs> some credits for for making all those posts. <laughs> did you do? Did you? Oh, Ben! I saw Bender. You started ACSC. The I finished I it. Did. What does it stand for? Um, <laughs> Air, Air Command and Staff Air Command College. Command and yeah. College. Yeah. So there we yeah. go. Yep, I should know that as a graduate. But um, yep, I'm on cap. I uh, I failed my my first like proctored class even the teacher even sent me an email the day before the final grades were due it's like if you will just put in two sites or two references to the readings like i'll pass you i didn't get the email till the next day or whatever so like, yeah, you're all right, there's, there's nothing yeah. i can do for you yeah. uh, okay i guess i'll see that again yeah it's worth a shot oh yeah. i love it all right gents enjoyed it yeah see ya for sure yeah it's easy fellas see you guys later Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.